0: Welcome to The Scope with Dr. K, where together we can reimagine GI care. Welcome to The Scope with Dr. K. I'm Dr. Kaczynski, and welcome to the first podcast of this new year. Hopefully 2021 will be less challenging than 2020. We certainly need it to be. We're going to open the show today, as we always do, by stating that the goal of this series is to present you with a broad scope of value-based care issues mainly involving the field of gastroenterology, but also outside of GI as well. In each episode, we strive to bring you cutting-edge information through a focused interview with an influential and interesting key opinion leader. Today, we return to the provider space to interview one of the most innovative leaders in GI today. Dr. Jim Weber is our guest today. He's a gastroenterologist and a long-term friend of mine, and certainly a colleague. He has numerous awards. He's been named doctor of the year by the Crohn's Colitis Foundation of North Texas, best doctor in Dallas, it goes on and on. He's currently the CEO of the GI Alliance, the largest independent GI practice in the country with over 500 gastroenterologists. And I'm sure by the end of this show, there'll be even more. He's also the president and chairman of the board of the Digestive Health Physicians Association an organization which includes 95 GI practices in 38 states and 2,200 GI physicians across the US. What is the most impressive about Jim's career is the vision he has always had to build practices. This led to the creation of TDDC and the GI Alliance. All of this growing from a single little practice in Texas. Welcome to the show, Jim. Thank you, Larry. Really nice to talk to you. Thank you, sir. Well. We've got a lot to discuss today, so let's let's dig right in you successfully built one of the largest and most successful practices in the the country in Texas that in itself was a tremendous accomplishment. So what was your initial reason to get larger, what was the impetus behind your, your growth strategy.
1: You know, you know, I, I I didn't I didn't really have a strategy at first, Larry. It, it, it happened. It was it was thrust upon me. I uh, I here we have this big practice of three in Grapevine, Texas, uh, part of the DFW area, and one of our largest payers uh, dropped an RFP to say that they were only going to work with a group that was willing to take on risk. And here I am, early in my career, worried that whole uh, Dreams of building a practice might go down if I didn't learn how to take this on. That was when you recall Hillary Clinton was going to change healthcare and in a hundred uh, days, in a hundred days, yes, sir, yes, sir. Uh, uh, it healthcare was more difficult than they realized even back then. so, um, but uh, I actually took it seriously. And I what I did is I took the uh, uh book of providers for this payer and cold called every one of them, and within a couple of weeks, put together the largest independent GI IPA in the country, uh, and took on this challenge, and actually won this RFP to take on uh, uh, to take on a risk contract for a big payer. Uh, and, then- and it was from that that I learned that actually doctors working together and using data, you could provide. This was an interesting concept. I think we call it value-based care now, where. <laughs> high quality at a low cost and they loved it and uh, actually did that for a few years each year going back to them and asking for more money because I, could, I knew how much we had saved them and at the end of it they said could you please go back for fee for service and I said gladly but I actually took the best of the best of those groups and put it together to form TDDC. and so we were a mega group of 12 doctors at that time and that was 1995.
0: Wow, that's so. You know, I know you for so many years, but I never knew that piece of your story that you you actually looked at the provider list and cold called the docs to to build the group. That's that's interesting. Um, so you grew from there, though. I mean, yes, TDDC, TDDC um,
1: became hundred over a hundred doctors, correct? That that's correct, and. And what happened over the year, over the subsequent years, we worked together with these um, doctors and realized we formed what uh, a central business office uh, realized that had some real value add to aggregate resources for the practices rather than each of us having our own independent business office, we found that we can negotiate contracts better and create efficiencies that way. We had other groups then reach out to us and say, hey, could we be part of this organization as well? So there was some organic growth that just happened that way. And then I had the privilege to work on a national stage with different organizations on on working on practice management and practice improvement. Got to meet many colleagues and, and, and Larry, people like you and, and other colleagues that we know very well throughout the country and shared ideas and kind of would come back home with those ideas and share them, and kind of grew further from talking to groups in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and ultimately got to be about 60 doctors in Dallas-Fort Worth when we decided to reach out to our friends in Austin and San Antonio and Fort Worth and thought maybe if we could do this and grow in Dallas that we could do it in Texas and and it worked and it actually was the nidus what allowed us to ultimately grow into the GI lines that we found that we could negotiate statewide contracts and create efficiencies and not duplicate processes. So, so,
0: so to sum up why a practice would join TDDC, why would yeah. they, they would give up their tax ID numbers. They yeah. they'd, they'd become part of this entity. Um, what were the, maybe the one or two main reasons you think the practices did that?
1: Yeah, I think that they saw that together, we were able to create efficiencies and and, and, uh, in the business office, we were able to have a higher level of executives supporting each of us, that we could share best practices across the different uh, practices that we have. And it also, we found that we were able to negotiate better contracts with the hospitals, with the payers, uh, and, um, and do this where we weren't competing with one another in that space. So by being on that same tax ID number, it allowed us to be on the same page with these different contracts. Further at that time, as you know, um, many of us were exploring, you know, building out ancillaries. And one of the things we did that was very attractive to them is building a pathology lab. That was probably our first big ancillary we did together. And it was very unifying in the fact that we all pooled that resources and shared it equally. And that was something that none of us could have done as smaller groups by ourselves. So that was a unifying factor as well. So, so Jim, I, I can definitely see the benefit from
0: a business point of view, but you mentioned pathology. And now that is the first clinical uh, structure of a practice that you integrated? Yes. yes. Did you integrate other clinical aspects into TDDC or did you leave most of those practices on their own to, to practice in their own fashions?
1: Yeah, a great question, Larry. That, that was actually the first unified business that we did together was pathology outside from the professional fees that we negotiated together with the payers. So it was the contracts that we had and pathology. Our biggest strength, our secret sauce, and also our biggest weakness at that time was we allowed complete autonomy in the group. So it really was an affiliation of groups that really functioned independently, except for sharing the contracts, a central business office, and the pathology lab. So otherwise they had their own ownership of ASCs or not, and ran their own businesses clinically the way they wanted to.
0: Well, you might not have gotten them all on board if, if they all had to give up autonomy and some of that, because there's a, there's a independence in, in gastroenterologists, but so this is, this is really impressive that you put this together uh, in the way you did. So despite the fact that you built this successful entity, I assume you were all on the same electronic medical record at the time? Uh,
1: yes, actually, um, we initially weren't. And one of the impediments for getting groups to want to join was it was costly and a pain uh, to change, uh, uh, you know, IT systems, EHRs. Uh, but we felt it was important that we were all on the same system. So we had that was two you know one they converted to our tin two they converted to our it and three they they put their pathology in our central path lab other than that they were autonomous but yes those three things were kind of three unifying factors that we did
0: but you had the foundation in place yep so that you could integrate clinically
1: because yes. by having
0: them all on the same electronic health record you really could dig into that and be able to tell what was going on clinically in each of those practices.
1: Absolutely, and, and we use that to our advantage uh, on several ways. One, I could take that data and go and negotiate better contracts with, with uh, payers. Two, that was the foundation by which we started a research program and were able to use that data from one repository. Three, we were able to pool that data from pathology to do things like adenoma detection rates early on, getting a better feel of of who was doing a good job or not, and doing a little bit of internal um, uh, policing and and quality assessment of our doctors.
0: Okay, well, certainly um, you should have you could have been happy right there. I was. Happy. You you, you <laughs> could have you could have just said. I have done it. I'm finished. I don't need to do any more anything more. But that's not Jim Weber. No. Um, so, despite the fact that you built this successful group in one of the largest states in the country, you felt compelled to go further. Yeah. And in and, and I know you dabbled with growth in other states, but ultimately yeah. you determined that you needed to form a partnership with private equity in order to really grow this further. What was your initial thinking? What was your initial reason for going that
1: route? Well, actually I was probably one of the biggest uh, 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 ones against going with private equity early on, Larry. I mean, I, I was very staunchly independent, I loved, that I was partnering with other independent-minded gastroenterologists and why we maintain that autonomy. I would work with other groups in other states and actually was going to Louisiana, talking to them about how they could integrate together. And they just never could really come together. And finally, they said to me, can we just join TDDC? And that was when we went from about, we were over hundred doctors in Texas. And then I brought on groups from Louisiana and joined and we were driving back from the city of Louisiana one weekend with my whole big executive team, my COO and, and uh, CFO that was, and me, that was it. And said, you know, we're at 150 some doctors and maybe we ought to relook at this private equity thing where if we could structure it in a way where the physicians were left in charge, where the doctors remained autonomy on their clinical level but we got the business support to do this Maybe this could be okay because we were running out of gas. We were running out of executives, human capital, financial Mm -hmm. capital. The, The value add of groups coming in and joining us, we were adding value to them. But my own partners were saying, we're we're kind of this isn't built to get much bigger, really, Larry. I mean, we had a real value proposition for the groups that were on board but we saw what was happening nationally. You and I had worked together with other clinicians of how could we share best practices and ideas. And, and all of a sudden we realized maybe private equity offered a avenue to provide business support, financial support, business know-how to an organization like ours that knew how to build and work with doctors and to work. And we knew the quality doctors. I knew the groups like you had worked with and others that were really good groups putting something together. And How cool would that be to put that together on a national level and not just a state level? And so that was kind of that next phase, Larry, for me. So
0: you embarked, I know you did. I'm I'm (laughs) going to force you to go through it, though. You embarked (laughs) on a very, very long, arduous journey. to find the private equity firm yeah. that you wanted to go with. And um, what, what did you learn in the process? What what well, would you what advice would you give somebody uh, who's considering a PE relationship from what you learned in this process?
1: Yeah, yeah, I would say not all PE companies are the same. Uh, and that that we did, we spent nearly three years and and actually interviewed and had dinner with more than 70 different private equity companies and looked at them seriously. And what we decided is that we need, rather than say, we're gonna conform to what a private equity company thinks we should look like, we wanna get a private equity backer or a business partner who believes that what we're doing is the right thing and they're gonna help us on the business side and, and keep their hands off on the clinical side. The doctors I worked with were great. The doctors I wanted to partner with were at the top of their game. And private equity doesn't help a doctor be a better doctor. Private equity does help bring human capital and financial capital to support the business structure that then can support the doctors to do what they do best. And that's what we were looking for, Larry, and what I would recommend anybody do if they're looking to partner with the private equity. Stay true to your core, stay true to the, letting the physicians be in charge of the clinical space, and look for somebody that is willing to work with the physician leaders and, and provide that business acumen and support.
0: If you've just tuned in, you're listening to The Scope with Dr. K. Our guest today is Dr. Jim Weber, CEO of the GI Alliance. So in getting into a discussion about the GI Alliance, I do have to provide a a personal disclaimer. I was one of the managing partners of the Illinois Gastroenterology Group. And when we decided that we also wanted to produce a private, uh, you know, pursue a private equity investment, we followed an equally very long process that ultimately resulted in our joining the GI Alliance. This did not come easy. We had 84 companies review us We interviewed 21 of them and worked it down. And uh, if we had to make this decision again, we would make the same decision. The GI Alliance was our choice. I personally retired ahead of this merger to pursue Sonar MD, but I had stayed on in practice an, an additional year just to help the practice finalize their decision. And I think they made the right one. So with that disclosure behind me, um, Jim, tell us about GIA. How big have you become? How many practices, physicians, do you have in the alliance
1: today? Well, thank you, Larry, and 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 wow, what a what a gentleman you were in that process, being being so uh, positive and. And, and, and supportive of your group and not actually taking any financial benefit out of it. You are just absolutely a, a gentleman and a champion along the way. So thank you. Uh, as far as the GI Alliance, it's been what a thrill it's been. We started this organization with 130 doctors uh, as a couple had uh, decided to retire when we um, actually fund together uh, this partnership with WAG Capital And after we did that in November of 2018, IGG was the first large practice to join us and to form a platform in the Midwest, followed by ADH in in Phoenix, Arizona to form a Western platform. And together over the working with these amazing practices and physician leaders, putting together a really quality executive team together, a solid infrastructure uh, and in trying to standardize the reporting systems uh, and really integrate this into a true enterprise and not just a loose affiliation of practices, a lot of work was, went into that. And we have successfully built that now to today. And you, you're right. It could be different by the end of this talk. <laughs> but but uh, we are at 525 uh, GI physicians. We're at over, uh, we're at 3,800 employees. We're in eight different states and we have a very rich pipeline of other quality groups that we're very excited about uh, having join us in the near future as well. So we think we're off to a pretty good start. We're very excited about what we've done. I will say I probably turned down more groups and more opportunities than we uh, uh, venture and talk to. And I think it's just as important to do that to maintain the quality. I think it's it's really hard to build quality, Larry. You got to I think you inherit quality. And the fact that I'd been in the business for nearly 30 years and I knew the quality practices and good people, it made it a lot easier to bring in quality doctors and and, and build from there rather than to let a bad apple ruin the whole barrel for us.
0: Yeah. You haven't just been adding practices. You've been you've been adding the premier practices around yes. the country in order to build your your, your platform. I retired in 2019, in July of 2019, and when IGG joined the GI Alliance, I think we were 200 doctors. Yes, sir. So you've more than doubled the size, almost almost tripled the size, uh, in a year and a half. And there's this yeah. little thing called called COVID that happened in the in the middle of that, and you were able to do that despite COVID. Yeah. Um, so just. I want to know, I want to go next to your, your continued relationship with Wad Capital. Yeah. So as you've grown this, grown this business, tell me, tell the listeners how your relationship with your private equity partners has matured. What is it? What does it become? Is it what you thought it was going to be? What have you learned?
1: You know, I think it's, it's, I think I've learned a lot. I think they've learned a lot too. I think, um, I was given the privilege of being the CEO. I'm not sure they felt I was up to the task, despite my past accomplishments. I would say today they are very proud that I'm the CEO and feel like I've done a, a good job. And I, and I'm very proud of that. It's been very much Larry, like, um, Going through a, a, I feel like I'm going through some graduate education program, learning all the financial terminology, spreadsheets, working with lawyers and bankers. And I've learned a lot and come a long way in that. And I've really embraced and enjoyed it, enjoyed it. But I've never, ever forgotten that at my heart, I'm a physician and I represent my patients and my physicians. And I walk that line very carefully and thoughtfully. I will say, We selected WAG Capital because of their experience working with with, uh, physician practices and that they bought into our vision. And two years plus later, I couldn't be more proud of that choice that they have supported me, they've supported the doctors and the practices, they've not interfered in the clinical care of medicine, but they have provided real value in helping us on the business structure and the growth and I joke with uh, David Neighbors, uh, who is the senior partner at Captain, who I work with most closely, that, uh, yeah, I I was successful after 28 years building a group of over 100. But after two years, I built it to 500. So they must have helped somehow. So, um, <laughs> they, they threw some gasoline. I they threw sick. some gas on the fire, <laughs> sir. <laughs> yes. Well, enough
0: about gasoline. There's been there's been. Uh, some water thrown on it with COVID. Yeah, yes. So what has that done during the course of the last year? How has it affected GIA? Um, how have you dealt with this?
1: You know, um, COVID was probably the most distressful and hardest thing that's ever hit me personally, my practice or this country. And as horrible as it was, it really, much like going to war, it it built us stronger together as a band of brothers. My executive team worked harder, gave up salary, gave up weekends, worked harder for the common good. Uh, The doctors got in there, wore their gear, their PPE, PPE went to work, uh, put themselves at risk. Um, We really did a incredible job of supporting the practices, supporting our, 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 our staff, and protecting our patients along the way, while, interestingly, never losing a dollar in our business, even in the worst month that we had, because of the steps we took collectively, aggressively, thoughtfully, protectively to the practice. I, I, I can't praise my team of executives and the doctors and the staffs more, Larry. And and WAD Capital actually was there backing us the whole way and and provided the resources and the support we needed and uh, when we were in the worst times of that. And we came out of it, I think we've come out of it stronger, better positioned. We had an opportunity to look at processes and to make some tweaks and improvements. We actually did some integration during the downtime uh, and got everybody on the same IT platform and put an ERP reporting system in place. So we took advantage of the downtime. We took it and we also put together an employee assistance fund and the physicians and the executives and the board were very generous and donated large amounts of money to support anybody that needed the help uh, despite the assistance they got from the government or from from the business itself. very very trying time but coming out of it we're still in covid we're still respectful of it but it actually probably united us more than good times could have larry and so as bad as it was it actually made us a better stronger company and i'm very appreciative of of my team and and the practices that have really you know really fought hard to to do the right thing through this process
0: well that's a tremendous success story let's go to the future I'd like to hear from you what you see, what does GIA look like in five years?
1: You know, um, I think the most important thing that the GIA can look like in five years is to be an absolute value add for the patients that come to any practice that is part of the GIA, a value add for any doctor that joins or practice that joins, a value add for the payers, the hospitals, the real payers, the employers. Um, I I wanna see us having a standard unified information system, reporting system, transparency to all those providers in the organization. I would love to see in five years that we are the employer of choice for fellows coming out of practice, uh, that we are the preferred uh, uh, provider for patients, that no matter where they are in the country, they know if they go to a practice as part of the GI Alliance, they are getting quality care. Um, I don't think it really matters to me how big we are. It does matter to me that we maintain our quality, our integrity, our physician leadership, and our patient-first mentality, Larry. And, and, and if we can have that, then I'll be very, very pleased with where we are and where we're going.
0: I, uh, Jim, I've, I've enjoyed talking to you for the, for the podcast here and I'm impressed with what you've done. I wish you all the luck in the world and uh, I see nothing but a positive future for you guys. So thank you thank very you. much for taking the time to be on the podcast today. My,
1: my great privilege and uh, uh, the best of luck to you and Sonar MD as well. Great, great product, great service. Thank you, sir.
0: Well, thank you, Jim. And thanks to the audience for tuning in. You can learn more about the show on the programs page on healthcarenowradio.com and lend your voice to the conversation on Twitter at HCNowRadio. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at SonarMD. We're bringing patients, providers, and payers together to reimagine GI care. Until next time, I'm Dr. K. Stay well. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. K. Tune in with me next time to reimagine the scope of GI care. If we build it, they will join.